Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstalk. Hello and welcome to episode number 33 of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi. And I'm Joey Parisi. And Joseph Welcome back to the show, eh? I know. It's been far too long. I miss it. I miss having to say my own name at the beginning. Yeah. So for those who don't know, Joey's been on a little bit of a crosstown crosstalk hiatus due to greener pastures, but he's back and we're going to see how long we can keep it rolling with JP on crosstown. But I mean, what a time it's been, huh? Baseball, no baseball. I mean, what are your thoughts on all that? I know it's been crazy, but I just want to say before anything that when in my absence, you've done an incredible job. You've had Jake Von S. You had some incredible people from fan side. You interviewed Gavin Sheets, which was probably a highlight for you. Uh, and I just couldn't be any more proud of you uh, the way you've handled this show solo for the past few weeks. I very much appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, but like all good things, you know, they could be better. And that's where I come in. <laughs> Trying to do better. There you go. There you go. Shout out Peter Parker. Yep. So like I asked before, what are your thoughts on the whole lockout thing? I mean, it, it's tough the way that it's gone since December 1st. It sucks. And I was actually just thinking the other day, I want to go to a White Sox game. Like, And the fact that that might not be a reality come April or late March, it sucks. It really does suck, uh, especially because we don't have an answer. Like, if you told me, okay, the season's going to start in July, okay, okay, I just got to wait till July. But the fact that we don't know is the the thing that's infuriating the most. So, I mean, you know, like everything that's happened the past two years, we'll we'll live through it and uh, we'll just be better afterwards. I couldn't agree with you more. And they are meeting today, Thursday, doing economic-related things for the collective bargaining agreement. The MLB and MLBPA are together, so... Hopefully that's the beginning of something great and they are able to figure this thing out because we're all better when there's baseball. Summer's more fun. There's more things to do in the summer. There's more fun to be had. So hopefully they're able to figure it out. My my pal Robert Murray wasn't very optimistic a couple weeks ago, but I think having a meeting today and getting this thing underway, it's a good sign. And of course, we have a very special guest on this show. It's Liam Hendricks, closer of the Chicago White Sox. It's a career highlight of mine to be able to interview him. And he was talking as if he's prepping to be ready for spring training by the proper start date. I mean, I know that's probably just standard protocol. Everybody's probably doing it. But hey, it's better than everybody sitting at home doing nothing. Yeah, and you don't want to be, yeah, exactly. You don't want to be sitting home doing nothing because, okay, let's say they come to agreement. You need to be ready. So you need to prepare as if it's going to happen. So, Absolutely. Well, I think we've taken up enough people's time talking about a bunch of nonsense and I'm just so excited to, for everyone to hear this. And of course I'm talking about our interview with Liam Hendricks. I hope everybody enjoys. And we are now in the interview portion of today's show where we have an absolute superstar of the Chicago White Sox closer, Liam Hendricks. Liam, how are you? I'm doing well guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, of course it's been it's been a long time since we've had some baseball and we're looking forward to the season and we couldn't think of a better person to have on our show than you right now. <laughs> I appreciate it. Absolutely. Probably, probably our biggest guest. Have, oh, have mind you. yeah. Absolutely our biggest By guest, far. without a doubt. Well, I don't know. So, I, think, I think Gavin Sheets, he got me, he's a little bit bigger, a little bit taller than me. So <laughs> That's funny, actually. Gavin was a great time. He was a good person to have on, but absolutely, it's good to have our favorite team's players on our show. But I got to ask you, you were with the Oakland A's right before coming to the Chicago White Sox, and you actually beat them in the postseason, and you were a very big part of that A's team that had so much success. What made you come to the team that you beat in that offseason? What made you choose the Chicago White Sox? 
Well, they were on the, the board from the very get-go. I mean, you look at what they've got um, with the talent they've got. And also, the biggest thing for me was the the contention window. Like, everyone's there for multiple years. It's not as if it's just we had a couple guys for the first year and then it was like, okay, we'll hopefully piece it together for years two and three. No, it was everyone was there for the next three, four, five years. And that was one thing that really uh, resonated with me and my wife and I. And we really appreciated the fact of being able to live in a city um, we'd always enjoyed uh, enjoyed coming to Chicago when I played in the Central, and and also just being in the Central, the travel's a lot easier. It's it's a lot nicer, shorter flights, and uh, yeah, it's 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 that was uh, a couple of the big things for us. But also, we had some guys in the team that we knew pretty well, and Lucas Giolito, uh, he helped us like scout out some things around a little bit, and then then put in the good word as well. And then James McCann was one of the other guys we uh, we had reached out to about how the team was, and and have heard nothing but glowing reports. Yeah, what's that reception been like from some of the fans in Chicago? Because it seems like you've become a fan favorite rather quickly. At least you are for Vinny and I. <laughs> yeah, it helps when uh, you get embraced. I think uh, the group, the group of fans right next to the bullpen, they were fantastic. They always, uh, they were always loud. They were always appreciative. They always kind of uh, cheered as much as you could, as possibly they could. And then um, every time when I was walking out, I'd give them a little bit of a wave, and that seemed to resonate a little bit as well. But. Uh, yeah, I think it, the South Side fits with my personality, and that's something that's a little bit uh, – you like to have a joke, you like to have fun, but also you need to be serious, and you go a little little psychopathic at times as well, which is uh, which which fits me pretty well. Absolutely. We honestly love it. I'm a huge fan. We've actually been standing over there next to the bullpen watching you guys warm up a bunch of times, and it's always a great time. Um, one of the things that was surprising about the Chicago White Sox this season was Tony La Russa coming back. And after 10 years of not managing a baseball game, the last time he was, was in the World Series in 2011. Then he comes back to this young, vibrant White Sox team. From your point of view, what was it like to play for him? Oh, Tony was great. Obviously, yeah, you, you said 10 years away from managing. But in saying that, he was within the game still. Like, he had some executive roles with MLB and the, and the Diamondbacks. And he was, he was always around. So it wasn't as if he was, like, divulged of baseball or anything like that. But uh, – that was big. Um, he was one of the main reasons and another one that I really like liked the White Sox because obviously he was one of the inventors of the closer role. And that was something that was uh, obviously near and dear to my heart, the way I go out there and do things. But um, yeah, it's uh, it was pretty cool. And then I've worked actually with his animal rescue in the Bay Area for about five or six years now. So it's uh, I've known him for a little bit through that. And then, um, yeah, obviously you've, you've got a living legend sitting in the in the in the box managing the games. And that's uh that's something that not every team has, and that's something that we uh, we definitely took advantage of. And I mean, he resonated. He, he was fantastic throughout the entire clubhouse. Like there wasn't too, there wasn't anybody in that club. Or there was very few guys in that clubhouse that uh, that didn't like him, that didn't get along with him. And a lot of the guys, it's uh, he dealt with personalities. He dealt with everything, and that was uh, was fantastic to see. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, we've heard from players, you know, great things about Tony. So that's cool hearing it from you as well. I want to ask you about your relationship with a guy who came in last year Craig Kimbrell I want to I want to know about your and his relationship and you know what was that like having him join you guys last year oh it's fantastic from my point of view because there's there's always so much to learn especially from a guy of that caliber um obviously what he was able to do in Boston in Atlanta in San Diego and then in Chicago I mean he's bounced around with a multitude of different teams he's had different coaches but he's always been able to find that level of success and that's something that uh you don't you you just can't stumble upon very often and that's something that I was able to kind of pick and pick his brain about certain things, about situations, about the, his preparation, the way he comes into a game, what he does when he's struggling a little bit, making those adjustments. And uh, it was fascinating being able to learn from him. And yeah, he was, he was fantastic, not only as uh, a player on the field, but also like just his personality off the field was great. I mean, he, uh, we, we split a locker. We ended up starting to do some little, uh, little Lego like demonstration <laughs> things together. So we had that going, but yeah, he was fantastic. I've known him for a little bit. Uh, my wife is is close with his wife, and it's uh, it's something that was cool. We we already knew them a little bit before coming in as well, which made it a little bit easier for him and and me as well. Oh, I'm sure that's awesome. Yeah, and you had you. There was obviously Craig Kimber, who we just talked about, and then of course Michael Kopech. And then you come up with this little term that caught fire, and it was on T-shirts, and everyone was saying, "Of course, I'm referring to the Ponytail Gang." Michael Kopech is amazing. You all got the the great hair. Me and Joey are je well. I'm jealous. Joey's not. He's got. I know. I feel underprepared. I could I could have easily threw it up in a ponytail. And yeah, you could have joined well, the ponytail. Well, you, you decided to put a terrible hat on instead. But the uh, we're gonna, we're going to get to that. Don't worry. Yeah, we're going to get to that. that. <laughs> we're going to get to that. We know all about that. But how did you come up with the ponytail gang? And what was it like to part participate in such a great trio of relievers? Because those two guys and yourself, of course, are awesome. Yeah, it just. 
kind of happened in the moment. I mean, I was sitting there doing an interview and I'm like, yeah, we went an extra guy who, who has a little bit of a longer haircut. We're like, oh, we're like a ponytail gang. And then I kind of sat and I'm like, no, 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 we need some shirts for that. And then all of a sudden, three days later, I had shirts in my locker. So um, that was, that was pretty cool. But uh, yeah, it's, it's something that um, Michael Kopech is one of the more talented people I've ever been around. Uh, purely on the field, like he is unbelievable. And he's a great person off the field, which is something that I didn't know what to come. I just expect with him. Obviously, you'd seen social media stuff preluding when he was at Boston, stuff like that. But no, he's nothing like I expected. And it was awesome. Like he's very, he laid, he's into himself a little bit, like in the fact that he's just quiet. He's, he's a little shyer than your average, what I expected. But no, that guy is uh, supremely talented. And he's one of those guys that's just, the sky's the limit. There's, there's no telling how far he can go in this game. And he doesn't even realize how talented he is, which is the wildest part. Yeah, that's that's honestly incredible. Um, you kind of briefly mentioned Craig Kimbrell's uh, like warm up routines and all that, but I want to ask about your warm up routine because you know I've watched you very closely. Vinny mentioned we sit in those bleacher all the time. We're watching the bullpen. I noticed you do in the bullpen before you're about to come into a game. You kind of got this thing you do where you walk from the mound to the home plate. I want to know about the zone you get into and and what's that like. Yeah, so obviously going into a role, I'm. Uh... <laughs> one of the more stressful positions in baseball and it's you coming in and if you don't do your job, you end up losing. And then all of a sudden everyone yells at you and you get a bunch of social media death threats. So the deal with that, it was, I started doing, I read about this thing. It's just a breathing exercise. It's meant to just kind of relax, relieve stress a little bit. So I started doing this thing where I'd breathe in through my nose, hold it there and then breathe out. And then I just started doing that. I'm like, okay, how can I incorporate this into making sure that it's focused on what I needed to focus on? So I stood on the mound, I'd do that, and then I'd stand on home plate, then I'd look down to the plate, and I'd just sit there and do the same breathing things. The first few times with eyes closed, then eyes open towards the plate, and then I'd walk the plate just to realize how close that actually is. Because there's certain times, certain fields especially, that you feel like you're just, you're 150 feet away, and no matter what you throw, they're, they're sitting on it, they're ready for it. And then being able to walk that little distance is just, it realizes how close everything is to you and how much... Like how how quality the hit has to be to do anything on you, and that just kind of reiterates the fact of like it doesn't matter who's on the at the plate. I can I can get them out no matter what, and that's uh, something I do. And then I walk to the home plate, stand there a little bit, and then walk back with an intense scowl on my face while doing the breathing thing, and just kind of getting into that getting into that routine of doing things. But that's the biggest thing is just having a routine of the way you do things, whether it be a throwing program, whether it be the warm up pitches you have, because that means you trick yourself into every single time you're on the mound knowing and believing that you are ready to pitch in that game yeah that that was a perfect answer because Vin, how many times there'd be we'd be in the eighth inning you know i'm not even watching the game i'm just watching you do this warm-up routine and i and i say to Vinny because it's just so intriguing to me so honestly i'm so happy i got that explanation i can't wait to see you do it again oh yeah it'll be every day uh sometimes it's a little hard to do because depending on how many relievers are going through that day because i try mm -hmm. not to do it while there's someone there uh, I want I want it to be a little bit more of a quiet solitude time, but also in saying that I don't want to step in anybody's way. Like if somebody's having to warm up, look, you got they they've got a job to do. I'm not going to be sitting there impeding them because I have something to do. No, it's uh, we're a family out there and we pick each other up and we support each other all the time. That's awesome and incredibly interesting. So we all know Major League Baseball is locked out right now. How does that change? Off-season routine or does it for you? I mean, it's got to be a little bit different than a typical off-season. I'm just curious, like your thoughts on what you're doing differently or if that's going to affect anything going forward. Yeah, so usually I'm in Florida and it wouldn't have affected anything because I'd be going down to the, the local college at FGCU down there and I'd be working out. This year we actually bought a house in Arizona to be able to kind of use the facilities here. And then, of course, the lockout happens and I'm not allowed to go into the facilities at all. So it's been a little bit of a scramble trying to find places to throw, uh, mounds to get on. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm – about eight bullpens deep right now, sitting ready, getting ready for some live BPs next week, uh, and then getting ready for the season as it's ready to start, hopefully on time. But yeah, it, it threw a little bit of a spanner in the mix, just in the fact of I was planning on using mounds and having our bullpen catches, being able to catch them, and then being in contact with our coaching staff and stuff like this. But unfortunately, it wasn't to be. But um, yeah, hopefully we can get this all sorted out and we can uh, we can get back to all thirty teams being competitive and start the season on time what was it like to be involved in game three? I mean, we were there as fans and it was so electric that we bought tickets to game four in the fifth <laughs> inning. 
Like we were just having so much fun. And I'm like, we, we have to be here for the next game. Like it doesn't even matter what the final outcome is. We love the White Sox. We love every player on that team. We have to be there. But you participated in that game. So I have to know what it was like to see it from your point of view. Cause we were like in the crowd screaming with everyone, drinking our beers, doing what we do. But you as a player, I'm curious what it felt like from like down at the bottom. Yeah. It's, it's obviously nice to be in a game like that um, with the fans fully supporting behind you. I've been in some playoffs games before where it's been in the opposition city and it's been that loud the entire game, but obviously for the other team, which sucks a little bit, but um yeah, it was fantastic from our point of view. Like running out there to pitch that uh, the ninth inning was fantastic. The, the kind of electricity around the stadium was was it definitely rubbed off on some people. I mean, I think I got a little overboard at the end of the game, but um, at the end of the day, like, that's what you're looking for. That's that was one of the best experiences that uh, not only I had, but also a lot of these younger guys can have moving forward. And the fact of like this is what it feels like to win a playoff game. This is what it feels like to lose a playoff game and a playoff series. Now we never want to feel that again. Let's go. Let's go do some more of the of the, the formal where we win those games. We have are able to advance because we want to pop some bottles. We want to make sure we get those rings. We want to make sure that we do the city proud. And that's something that, uh, especially on the south side, we need to uh, we need to make sure that we're the last uh, the last club to win a ring down there. Yeah, I was going to ask if that electricity in that stadium was contagious to you guys that night because at least for Vinny and I and every other person wearing black in that stadium, as it was a blackout. Uh, from the moment that first pitch to the moment that you threw that last pitch, it was we were standing. I've never stood up, sat down so many different times in one game, and it had to be like you know contagious for you guys. Yeah, it was it was fantastic for us. Obviously, uh, the way the game transpired, it was uh, incredible. The way it worked, it was fantastic to get that win in front of the home the home fans, especially with uh, the way that the White Sox had in the previous year. It was a win in Game One, but. Um, there was no fans in the stands, so it was a little bit of a different different account. But uh, yeah, it's it's always cool with that fan base. But the fans are great all year. It was as if they just showed up for the playoffs or anything like that. They were fantastic all year. They we we drew really well the entire season, which is fantastic because it's not uh, there's not as many people just jumping on the bandwagon and running with you a little bit, which is which is always good. You want those loyal fans that come to the games, no matter if you if you're struggling a little bit or you're doing well. And that's uh, that's something that the the South Side has in spades. Absolutely. So you just talk, kind of touched on it a little bit earlier when you talked about being a closer and your mental preparations and stuff like that. And Tony LaRussa kind of being one of the primary inventors of the role. Can you take me through that thought process of being a closer? Because everybody says it doesn't matter if you're a closer. It's in your it's in your blood to pitch in the ninth inning and you high pressure situations. What is that like to be a closer mentally and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I um I'm very lucky in the fact of my timeline to, to move into that role. I don't think I would have been very good at it uh, initially when I first moved to the bullpen, especially when I first went to the A's because um, I was ex- like the expectation was there for me to move into those roles personally, like maybe, maybe not organizationally or anything like that, but personally I was expected to move into those roles. And I don't think my personality would have held onto it very well because if I, I just don't think I would have done it. I mean, been very good emotionally in that role, but since I got DFA'd in, in 2018 and went down there and kind of fell in love with the game again and realized that I don't care when I pitch, I don't care what role I am, it I started bringing that intensity. I was throwing the fourth, fifth, sixth innings in Oakland and bringing the same intensity that I am now because that was the way I needed to pitch. And that just it kind of it obviously got exacerbated now in the ninth inning with everything on the line a little bit more. But um, I don't think I would have been the same person I am without having those setbacks, without having those kind of go through the motions of making sure that I get into it. And then uh, I, I worked so hard on psyching myself in every game, even if I didn't have the adrenaline, even if I didn't have the uh, kind of the emotions that I needed to, I would psych myself into it that way. And now it's able to kind of transpire. And now I can bring that forth almost uh, at will when I'm on the mound, which is, uh, which is something that is very hard to do. But my biggest thing is I don't care what inning I pitch. I don't care what role I am. I just want to pitch. I want I just want the ball as many times as I can. I want to go out there and help our team win, whether that be the fifth, whether that be the ninth, whatever role it is, I'll be ready to go no matter when the phone rings. Yeah, and a time that we saw that this year where you didn't care, you know, what game it was, what inning it was, was this year's All-Star game. It was so fun to watch, so fun for you to be a part of. You ended up getting the save. I want to know how special that moment was and uh, especially being the first Australian player to ever make an all-star appearance twice. So congrats to, to you on that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, there was a lot of things about really cool about that that uh, that game. Unfortunately, um, I suffer from a little bit of altitude sickness, so that's not ideal, and we're in Colorado. 
but yeah, if you see, if you watch the inning, I, I ran out to the field with an oxygen tank in my back pocket. I kicked that into the dugout. I may have uh, said some fun words a little couple times out there while being mic'd up, but you no, know, it was an awesome experience. Um, I think uh, there was the, the American League only struck out three guys the entire game, and, and Lance and I happened to have two of them, and that was something that, that is pretty cool that uh, we got two-thirds of the strikeouts as two guys, which is something that, that doesn't happen too often. But, yeah, being uh, being able to do that, walking the purple carpet, being able to uh, experience that again with my wife and, and run into players on the red carpet that we've played with, played against, uh, now that are either still playing or broadcasting or anything like this, that was something that's uh, – that's really, really cool. But I think the biggest thing for me is you, you gain recognition for the game in Australia. And that's something that I'm always pushing for. You're trying to get more of your kids over here, more Australians involved in baseball, more Australians understanding what baseball is, to be honest, and doing things like that. They're the biggest things that help out a lot. And then I raised yeah. some money for an animal charity, which is always good. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Did you know you were mic'd up in that inning? Because uh, there was some audio technical difficulties. You weren't able to hear Joe Buck. I want to know yeah, about so that. So what had happened was they, so I walked out to the bullpen in like the third inning. I walked back in the seventh and then got mic'd up, walked back out again to the bullpen. And then I sat down and there were these metal benches. And when you sit down, there's those gaps between where your back sits and where the, the, uh, where the butt is. And I sat down and I felt like something, I felt like the, the, microphone pack kind of wedge in between it. I'm like, oh crap, did I just break it? So I get up, I'm like, okay, I can't, I don't know, I can't hear anything. Maybe they're talking to me, maybe they're not. I have no idea what's going on. Uh, so I'm like, okay, well, if they can't hear me, maybe I snap the cord and it's not working, unfortunately, at all. Um, so I was like, okay, maybe I'm mic'd up, maybe I'm not. I have no idea. I can't hear them, so I'm just going to go with it. Goddamn, fucking finish it. Over the signs with Zunino. This is what the people want, you're mic'd up. No, it's not working. Oh, really? I haven't heard a thing all What do you want to do? Uh, chase two, shake the same. Uh, turns out they could hear me. I couldn't <laughs> hear them. It turned out it was just the volume. They uh, they never turned the volume up on my end. They didn't tell me that I needed to. And so I'm just kind of running out there as is. But, yeah, I could hear myself breathing. Because, you know, when you wear headphones, you can hear yourself breathing and chewing and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I could hear myself breathing. So that was tough because, one, I out through sickness, I'm out of breath because that was the heck of a long run in from the bullpen there. And so it was a lot of, lot of things going on, but luckily I had uh, Zanino behind there who um, I'd thrown to enough times when he was in Seattle, just against that he knew exactly what I was throwing at. So it was, uh, it was, it worked well with the relationship. Yeah. And you know, you being mic'd up allowed me to hear after you struck out, you, you mentioned you and Lance had two thirds of the strikeouts, Chris Taylor's up to bat. You get him on the drop third strike. You what what happened with that baseball? Because I saw you you had someone authenticize it. You tossed it to the side. I don't know if you wanted someone to put a stick on it. I want to know if you ha do you still have that baseball? Is that something you're going to hang on to forever? Oh yeah, I keep every like any time I strike anybody out. So the first game, um, first time I made the all set, I ended up striking out the side. I got the first one. Thought about getting the second one, and then by the time I got the third one, I was like, I, I can't keep that one because I've already got. <laughs> I didn't keep the second one. But I'm like, okay, I just want to, like, and that's the plan. If you make another one, if I make another one, I want to hopefully strike somebody out and keep that ball again. But, yeah, I'm I'm a big collector. Like, there were certain times, like, I I kept my 100th strikeout ball this season this year. I kept every single safe ball. I kept a lot of balls where something cool happened. Like, I got, I kept the ball that um, I used in the game that Jerry West, um, that Joe West, sorry, broke the uh, umpire games record. And so I kept that ball. I got him to sign it for me. Uh, like I, I'm just, I like collecting those things, but I like to get them authenticated. So I got the strikeout in the All Star game with Chris Taylor. Looked to the side. I'm like, no, no, no. I need. I, I want the sticker. Yeah. Threw it in there. They got the sticker sitting in my locker after the game. And so I got the uh, the safe ball authenticated as well. So they're uh, they're sitting in my apartment in Chicago right now. And then uh, yeah, they're the, with the rest of them. But the reason I, I keep all the balls is one because it's cool. Because you never know what. I prefer to have something and then not ever use it or not ever need it or want it or anything like that than not have it and really want it. Uh, but Burt Blylevin had this wall in his house and it was 287 wins. Each ba like Every single win had a ball on the wall. And in between that was his two World Series trophies with the two rings in the middle. And it was uh, it was a very, very cool setup. So I'm hoping that I can get to that um, with some saves and some and a, some World Series stuff. I started keeping wins when I was, in the, when I was a starter, but they didn't come very often. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I, I loved hearing that story. It kind of, it's very interesting hearing like the human side of things. I love hearing like what you do with the baseballs and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You brought up Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn and you to me have similar 
I don't know, just when you get a big strikeout, you can tell you get very animated and you enjoy you enjoy pitching and pumping out the fastballs as often as you can. I enjoy watching that. What was it like to pitch with Lance Lynn? Lance is the same. Like I feel like he's very similar to me in the fact that he is very much a loud and, a, and like um, kind of boisterous on the mound, but off the mound, he's funny, he's joking, he's having a good time, and that's something that I think we we really related to when we uh, went up sharing a couple lockers. We had uh, it was me, uh, our two spare lockers, and then him, and so we we would talk pretty much along a lot of the time and. Uh, being new to the team, kind of being that way, it was uh, it was a lot of fun being able to learn from him, especially because he's done. He went the other way. He's a uh, he's a failed reliever. So he uh, he started as a reliever with the Cardinals, and then moved to the moved to the rotation. So he's a failed reliever, and now he's he's doing what he does in, the, in there. But he, same thing as I did. I think the South Side really uh, really represents the way his personality is, and and he melded into that team like like butter. It was unbelievable. Like coming in, we were both very much embraced, and then the fan fans made it so much easier as well it's fantastic and experience yeah and I, I, he started my favorite game of the season we've talked about it we've shown the highlights and that's the field of dreams game what was that whole experience like was that your first time ever at the field of dreams or have you been there prior no that was my first time ever there so uh, obviously the field of dreams stuff was fantastic it was such a cool experience there was so many things around um i've got a kevin costa signed ball at the house now from uh, from doing that and Everything was was great. I had a fantastic time, and then I pitched, and then I sucked, and then made more one of the more memorable moments being able to give Tim uh, Ta the opportunity to walk off, and that was uh, probably the game of the year from a, from a lot of White Sox fans, and it happened to be my worst. It just is what it is. But um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a great game for me personally. But at the end of the day, hey, we won, and that's all that matters. And and then uh, we can turn it around and and uh, and use that as an experience personally and as a team. And uh, it was a fantastic experience, obviously. Yeah, everyone saw the game. It was it was awesome. Like walking through the cornfields, doing the mazes, doing this and that. And yeah, it was it was it was fantastic. The field set, the playing surface was great. Uh, they did a really good job with that as well. Liam, yeah. maybe it wasn't your best performance of the season, but you are the winning pitcher of the Field of Dreams game. <laughs> yeah, I did say that. I actually <laughs> sent the jersey to my agent because my agent was there as well. I got the the jersey authenticated that I wore and sent it to him. Like, look, it's the. Uh, See the jersey of the first guy to ever win a game in an MLB game in Iowa. So go ahead. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. Honestly, you couldn't you couldn't exactly. have written I mean, that script. It, it, it humbled me a little bit, brought me back down to earth, and then uh, we were able to kind of pick on some things that I was doing with my glove and the ball and everything like that, and then uh, made the adjustment. Unfortunately, a couple games too late, but uh, six earned runs in a couple games is not ideal. But after that, we uh, were able to settle it back down again and. And move on from that and, and use that as a learning experience. Yeah, and you weren't going up against nobody. Like like there you were facing some tough guys in that Yankees lineup. Is there a guy in the MLB that you face where you're just like you, you hate when they come up to, to batter? You not think about that stuff. You you pitched against some, you know, Hall of Fame caliber players. Yeah, I mean you think about it a little bit. Um you think about it pregame on doing all that, but it's, if you're on the mound, if you ever think about that, you you're you've already lost. Um I can rattle off all the guys that I do well against, but uh, mm -hmm. it's um, yeah, the, the guys that you do that do well against you, it, it chops and changes. Obviously, uh, Judge is one of those guys in that in that lineup that uh, that I've always struggled with. Uh, I think he's uh, three for four with a strikeout, two homers, and a and an RBI single. Uh, so there's a lot in that that uh, he does a literally does a right against me. But in saying that, I hopefully I'm lulling him to a false sense of security. So if there's a big a uh, beginning in a playoff game or anything like that, that I can. Uh, and I can get him back a little bit, but um, yeah, there's there's some guys that you struggle against. But yeah, as soon as you get on the mound, you don't really worry about those guys because you're just out there and you're doing your thing. And uh, and sometimes guys have your number, and sometimes you do well against guys. It just happens to be that way. What would it mean to you to throw the final pitch of a World Series game playing for the White Sox on the South Side of Chicago? It would mean a lot. Obviously, um, it would mean a lot. But at the end of the day, I don't care if I throw the last pitch if someone else throws the last pitch. As long as someone on our team throws that last pitch. And that's that's the goal. It doesn't matter who it is on the mound. It doesn't matter what situation it is. I mean, I don't honestly care if whoever goes out there throws a CG or if it's another relief or if whatever it is. I don't care. I just want the ring. I want to win a ring. I want to win a championship. And that's that's what it comes down to. If that's me on the back end, that's great. If it's not, that's also great because I don't. I as I said, I have no ego with what what role I'm throwing, what uh, what inning I'm going out there, and. All I'm trying to do is make it to, uh, help the team win, and if that's including me in the ninth, that's what it is. But as I've always said, it, like, 
every spring training, I come into the come into spring training being like, look, I'm a reliever on this team. I'm going to win that closes role. And that's my goal this spring training. Again, it's it's coming in, putting together a good spring training and winning the role and, and running with it the entire year and never giving anybody any chance to say that I shouldn't have it. Exactly. Very well said. I mean, obviously, we're hoping that, that that championship does come here on the south side of Chicago. Um, over on the north side, we got the Chicago Cubs. What's that crosstown rivalry like? Is it what you expected coming to Chicago? Yeah, obviously, uh, being in the Bay Area, you have the Bay Series with the A's and the Giants. So it's similar to that in the fact of uh, you've got that rivalry built in. You've got everything like that. Uh, it's It's been interesting because both teams I've been with, they haven't really stacked up at the right time. It hasn't been like the Cubs are on top of the Central and the White Sox are on top of the Central at the same time, or the A's are on top of the West and the Giants are on top of the West. It's been uh, one team's going one direction, the other team's going the other. It's uh, it was it was a cool experience because obviously this is my first time ever pitching at Wrigley this year. I've been to Wrigley before, but never pitched, and so that was my first experience pitching there. And it was it was a really cool experience being able to go against against the Cubs as a White Sox and and feeling that kind of adrenaline, the feeling the excitement in the stadium, but. Yeah, I, obviously, I would hope that uh, we both are trending in the right direction, trending uh, trending upwards, and that I think would make it something special. But uh, yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun going out there for those games, and it's bragging rights. Anytime you do anything against another team in the same city or the same surrounding areas, it's, you're going out there for bragging rights. And I mean, I think I pitched, and I think it was a thirteen to one, and I still ended up screaming and fist bumping after that game, no matter what. That's just how it goes, especially in those rivalry games. And we love to see it because it's clear that you're passionate about winning. We enjoy watching you win. You've pitched to some very good catchers in your career. And I want to know what it's like to pitch to Yasmani Grandal. Of course, we see what he does with his bat. Everybody's well aware that he's got a lot of power and he can impact the game that way. But when you're pitching to him, what's it like with his pitch framing and the way he calls a game and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I love throwing yes. Obviously, at the start of the year, he was he was hampered a little bit by his knee, but um, that's why he went down to the knee. That went down to one knee, and it just it was that kind of that transition period. But uh, yeah, we had our conversations earlier in the year because he has one way of doing things. I have a different way of doing things, and at the end of the day, I we we got to the point where it's like we understood that this is the way we were going to try and do. It. We're going to meld them together and try and work towards getting as many guys out as we can. And then uh, he was fantastic. Once he came back from his knee injury, it was like like we just he just melded straight back into it like there were certain times where i'd want something and he'd put something else down and then adamantly put it down again and then we'd go to that and it would it would work and there'd be other times where i'd shake him off and move to something else and it would work as well it was just uh it was a really good relationship um not only on the field while pitching to him but also in the in the clubhouse he was one of those guys he's a little bit quieter he's a little bit more kind of uh stands in the background a little bit more but being able to kind of joke around with him a little bit and uh he puts so many hours into pitch for to looking at what he's doing behind the plate, but looking at the next series, the next game, the next team, the next batter. It's unbelievable the amount of work he puts in. I think his scouting reports are more in depth than almost any pitches I've ever seen, and it's just it's a tribute to what he's able to do. But uh, I'm excited about getting him back with his with his knees back right and moving forward into this next season and and really getting an opportunity to sit there with him for the entire year because as you said, his bat was fantastic, but he was also one of like the, one of the better defensive catches for what the last six years or so and that's something that uh you don't find those two mixing together very often yeah and i like how you said you you uh you get along with him in the clubhouse off the ice you joke around with him is there like a guy in the clubhouse who, who you love to joke around with who's the jokester in that clubhouse is there someone that comes to mind right away yeah i probably mess with ta the most <laughs> i think uh we <laughs> so we sat there and we were going to spring training for about four hours one day and it was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Our lockers were next to each other in, in spring training. And then, um, yeah, it got to the point where Adam Eaton had to actually get up, move, and then leave because we were just going back and forth for too long. And this is like 6 o'clock in the morning, mind you. So it's not as if it's like later in the afternoon or anything like that. Everyone's tired already. But, yeah, we were going back and forth the entire – he's probably the one guy. Like, we have conversations in the middle of the game because I told him, like, hey, look, if you see anything – come let me know, come yell at me a little bit, and then we'll go. And then he goes, same same thing for him. Like, if we'll, we'll just go back and forth on the field, whether, whatever situation is, because that's what we found that works for us to get us locked back in. We don't need someone stressing about the importance of each one. We need everyone downplaying this, the importance of everything, so that way we go out there and do our thing. Yeah, and I don't know if I said off the ice or off the field, but... Uh... Oh, you definitely said off the ice, but it's <laughs> fine, I understand. <laughs> you see where my brain's at most of the time, right? <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, I'm trying to Liam, avoid as much hockey talk as I can because Montreal's uh, floundering a little bit this year. It's not the it's not the best year for us, especially after last year making the Stanley Cup Finals. 
Oh yeah, we're we're gonna have you roast Joey about the Canadians in a couple minutes here. But we we brought up Wrigley Field, and you talked about pitching there for the first time. What is your favorite away ballpark that you've ever pitched in? Or I mean, and you pitched at pretty much every stadium that you've been on their team as a road player as well. But I'm curious, is there a stadium that you just love going to? There's a lot of stadiums I really enjoy pitching at. Um, obviously, I think I love the Coliseum, but that's a pitcher's ballpark. It's got a great mound. It's a high mound. The way everything comes in, it's it's that's one of the, my favorite places to pitch. Um, as a like player going in, I'm looking for the like the clubhouse experience. But the new Texas ballpark's fantastic. I think Carson and the guys over there with Matt and Newman they do a fantastic job in the clubhouse. They uh, they treat everybody the right way, and that's something that's really cool. Um, obviously, New York's fantastic with Lou and the staff over there. But, uh, yeah, the, the uh, from a playing service point of view, I actually really enjoy Tampa. I think it's the mound. They, um, If you look at anybody's, like, analytics of that when they're in Tampa, their analytics go through the roof. Like, I think I was – I averaged, like, probably 6'11 to 7'1 last year, my economics, like, my uh, release extension. In Tampa, I was seven foot four. My drop went from like 10 inches to four inches. Like everything I had played up to a ridiculously elite level. And that was something that was really cool. Um, but that's just, you, you, I judge everything by, based by mounds and everything like that. But there's, there's some good mounds out there. There's some not so great mounds out there. But it's learning to pitch. And you just don't want to pitch off the Giolito because he digs a hole. It's <laughs> like he took a shovel out there. And it's coming in in the ninth inning. It's, it's, it's hard when you've, when you've got to combat like, everybody's hole sizes and stride lengths and everything like this. You're just judge, uh, kind of dodging landmines out there. That's, that's honestly, honestly, yeah, it's something I've never even thought of, like coming in after a guy. And obviously each starter is going to, you know, go about their mound, their mound differently. And that's so funny to hear that Lucas Giolito does that. Yeah, if I ever have to pitch after, against, uh, after Lucas Giolito versus Frankie Montas, I may actually get them to just recreate the mound because it's <laughs> those two guys dig like no other. It works for them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not telling them to stop doing what they're doing. But yeah, it, it makes it tough. Like I've torn through some cleats before because I'm like scraping the top of my toes because of the uh, where I'm landing and all this sort of stuff. It's it's an interesting time. That's hilarious. And each guy has his own thing that makes him successful on the mound. Of course, Julito with the digging. We know about Craig Kimbrell, the way he like kind of hunches over and leaves his arm hanging over. You kind of dangle your arm a little bit, not quite as like a wing as. Uh, Craig Kimbrell does, but I'm curious, where did that develop? How do you come up with something like that? Where does it stem from in terms of your development as a pitcher or maybe becoming a reliever and just going from the stretch specifically? I'm curious how that develops. Yeah, so I had started like from the stretch when I was a starter that I would go from my my hand kind of behind my back on the belt level around there. And then when I was in double A, I ended up having some shoulder issues that I was pitching through. So I was like, I'm not telling anybody, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. But it actually hurt to put my arm behind my back. And at that point I'm like, okay, well, what do I do? I'll just dangle it. And it kind of just stuck from there. And now it just became a thing. And now I've got getting a little bit lower because it looks a little bit more intimidating and all that sort of stuff. It's not quite the pinched wing. Cause I feel like that would hurt my shoulder as well. But yeah, it's just, it's now part and parcel of the way I do it. Cause I think that you always feel like way more of a badass when you kind of look up and it's just like the brim of your hat is just sitting there and you can see the plate, the sign. If you don't see anything else, I feel like it's just a, it's a, it's a bit of a cool vibe, but now it's just a habit that I get into. And it actually, I, I don't think I could stop it. I think it's now more of a, it's, it's that ingrained in me that if I ever did anything else, it would just feel weird. Yeah. It's probably just part of that routine at this Plus, point. Plus I need to lean forward to be able to see because I got terrible eyesight. <laughs> so I can't just stand up with my glove on my hip and be able to see the signs. I literally need to get as close to the plate as I can to be able to figure out what the guy's putting down. Yeah. <laughs> There's been tons of great moments this year for us as fans, for I'm sure U.S. players. Is there a moment that doesn't really get talked about as much, maybe an underrated moment from this season? It's, uh, it's an interesting one. I think um, there's a lot of interesting ones that we – games we played, whether it be – just kind of comeback wins or I think the biggest one, it's not maybe not necessarily a certain game, but it was the way we handled certain teams. Like we, we did well against teams in our own division. That was something that is really, really hard to do, but it was also, we figured out like, okay, we went to a road team, like Houston swept us at their place. And then they came back to our place and we were able to kind of flip the script a little bit or the way when the Blue Jays came to us, we were able to kind of, show our side on our on our home turf kind of thing. I think that was the one thing that uh, I think it gets talked about a lot, but our biggest thing was like we 
the Twins weren't a, like they their record may have been a bad, but they they weren't a bad team. Every a lot of those games were very close games, and I think that gets left out a little bit in the fact that they were very close games. We had a lot of close games that we won. That I mean, how many games were within one or two runs or anything like that? That all of a sudden they we weren't expected to win, or we came from behind, or we we didn't score enough, or just just scored enough to be able to win these games. And if you don't win those, then all of a sudden we're looking at being in fourth place in the, in the division and, and not being able to do what we wanted to do in the playoffs. And um, that's something that I think it's uh, – it, it, how close it – yeah, the division race wasn't exactly as close as a lot of things looked, but those individual games, they were really close. And they uh, – they there was a lot of make-or-break moments in this season that uh, we were able to kind of take advantage of. And you guys did play well against your division rivals, and that was one of the biggest critiques of the Chicago White Sox from, I would say, the national media – in the year 2021 was that the AL Central's weak. The White Sox are going to be the only team that finish above 500. Cleveland sold off some of their better players at the deadline. The Twins were one of the biggest disappointments in all of baseball this season. That how do, Why does that matter? Isn't winning your division the point of baseball? And then once you get into the playoffs, then you have to elevate your game from there? I thought the White Sox did a great job this season handling their division, and I see that as very important. Yeah, without it, I don't think uh, from a player's point of view, it doesn't matter who you beat. It doesn't matter who you beat as long as you win. And if you're going to win the division, you may, like, whether you beat up on your own team within a weaker division, whether you beat up everybody else. I think one thing that was pointed upon was the fact that our record against teams above 500 wasn't ideal. But in saying that, who cares? It doesn't really matter. Like, unfortunately, it would have been a better argument if we had of uh, advanced in the playoffs a little bit but in saying that it's uh it doesn't matter who you win as long as you get there i mean it's it's you you play 162 games to get ready for those series and that's what it is it's 162 practice games to get ready for the playoffs and it doesn't matter who you play against doesn't matter what you do as long as you get to the playoffs and that's the biggest thing that, that there is it's like you could you could be really good against 500 teams but struggling against that one team and that one team's going to cost you a playoff spot so our big thing now is obviously moving forward we want to be able to show our best foot against those 500 teams, not only to stop the media talking about it all, but also to give ourselves that confidence when we go to the playoffs. Like, okay, yeah, it doesn't matter. We we were able to beat this team at their home ground, and that's one of the things that we really need to work on is playing better on the road this year, and that's something that uh, hopefully we can work on come, come spring training and, and take into the season and run away with it. I was just going to say, so obviously that's something to look forward to this next upcoming season is that road record and those teams above 500. But it, I agree, it's not something to necessarily you know stress too much about because you guys at the end of the day were a winning team. And you know all that matters at the end of the day is you make it to the playoffs and then you go from there. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter how you get there as long as you get there. Yeah. So when you guys are on the road, obviously there's time to kill, plane rides, hotels. What's your favorite thing to do on the road for fun? Ah, so if we've got an off day or a day game or anything like that, I always take the bullpen out to dinner. Um, that's one of the things that it says when you when you move up the ranks is you get the older guy or the the guy with the biggest salary or anything like that. You take all the young guys out to dinner. So that was one thing that I really enjoyed doing. This is my first year, like being able to do it because 2020, you couldn't really do it because of everything going on. But uh, yeah, taking the guys out for dinner, taking them out for a nice steak or wherever we're going. And just sitting around and just hanging out, like whether it just be something like we hang out all the time, but hanging out away from the field, it's uh, it's it's a little bit rarer. But um, other than that, like I'll, I'll sit in the, in, I'll be in the hotel room, I'll just watch TV or read a book or walk around the city a little bit, depending on where we are. It's something that uh, you get out, you enjoy, you experience the things. And yeah, I'm always looking for like a good bookshop or anything like that in certain cities where I can go and, and try and find that next uh, that next good read that I'm going to sit, sit down and read on the road, especially. Yeah, Vin, do you have any more baseball questions? Because there's one topic I'm dying to get into here. <laughs> no, I I just – I'm very happy to have Liam on the show, of course, talking baseball. But, yeah, of course, we got to jump into the one th the one nerdy thing we wanted to talk to him about real bad. Yeah, and, of course, that is Vinny and I are huge Star Wars fans. We know you're a huge Star Wars fan, and we know you're a huge Lego fan. I want to hear about that. Go ahead and, and nerd out for a second here. Tell us about your collection you got because we're so interested in it. Yeah, so the, my my Lego uh, thing all started this year from one of our friends, Joey Niz, uh, Joseph Niz, but he actually bought me this uh, the Chicago skyline, and bought me the skyline. So I built that in the clubhouse. I'd always built little little figurines, but it's more Dragon Ball Z, Pokemon stuff. And then when he bought the Legos, I'm like, oh, okay, let me see what else they've got. And then I got Grogu. Then I got the um, 
Uh, I've now I've got the Millennium Falcon and the uh, Starship Destroyer, the ATAT. I've got all those. I haven't built the big ones yet because there's just too much of it going on. But then I did the bus, and it was Boba Fett. Then it was Darth Vader. Then it was the Tie Fighter. Then it was uh, there was um, uh, the Starship Trooper, the Scout Trooper, or the Star Trooper. Then there was this, the, the Scout Trooper. There was all these different little busts and stuff like that they were able to build and a lot of it was star wars which is uh which is really kind of cool because it's like yeah i grew up on that stuff you go that every time um like we go back that's like to australia it's like there was usually a star wars movie coming out so we get the nice tickets with the with the cushion seats with the when they bring the food out and i take my old man to that because that was uh something that we kind of bonded over as uh, when i was a little younger and that's something that uh now with the Mandalorian and the the series of Boba Fett coming out and all these sorts of things, it's uh, it's like a never ends, which is fantastic for me. But uh, yeah, it's always enjoyable watching that. We had uh, Rogue One on the other night, watching that just kind of get back into a little bit, and and then you look at the video games, The Force Awakens, that was fantastic. The one that came out a few years ago, and uh, yeah, there's there's so much that goes into that genre that uh, you're able to kind of go through and. I mean, it's 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 something really really cool that you're able to kind of, especially with with Lego and all that stuff they're they're doing now with within the realm. It's 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 exciting to be able to relive those special things that you grew up with. Liam, are you a gamer? A uh, little bit, not too much. I mean, I try and dabble a little bit, but um, yeah, that's that's sometimes a road thing. But yeah, it's it's <laughs> I try and read as many books as I can. I've got my set myself a goal this year of book a week, so right around fifty books. That's what we're aiming for. Um, and that uh so currently i'm on to book three uh so we'll uh we'll see how it goes see if i can uh, and keep that going because once the season starts that's my that's all i do on the plane is all i do is read uh in the clubhouse on the road as i read a book is uh, my way to kind of wind down and get away from baseball for a little bit as well that's awesome what's your favorite star wars movie I'm a sucker for the ogs i think it's just the uh the original trilogy is there's something i i don't know if i could really pick a favorite i think it's just one of those ones where it's like you you go back and you see some of the graphics nowadays but it was like it was so ingenious back then of the way it was done the way it was like created um then you're watching like uh, my wife and i watching the uh how like how the movie was made kind of thing on netflix and we didn't watch the stuff like there wasn't a star wars one but it was like the uh the jurassic park one and the home alone ones and it was just all these little things about the way it was constructed and the difficulties and this and that, I can only imagine how doing a star Wars film back, back in those days was hard to do, whether it was just like you literally holding onto a ship by a string and just dragging him around kind of thing to make it look like it's moving and all these things. It's uh, it's fascinating. It's the way that guys talk about their professions and there's little look tweaks and stuff like this. The way I talk about baseball, it's like, okay, yeah, my hand was a little bit on the side of that ball. So I didn't get the same amount of carry or I put too much pressure on my, uh, my pointer finger rather than my index finger. So my slider didn't break as much. And it's fascinating learning all those little like tidbits about any, any kind of profession. Those little things that mean that when you're watching it on TV, it realizes that you actually can't do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned uh, that show, the, you know, the Mandalorian book of Boba. Have you started the book of Boba Fett, that TV show on Disney plus? No, so I we've been watching The Mandalorian. Um, I try and watch all this stuff with my wife because it's something that uh, we both like a little. We both like, so it's like being able to watch The Mandalorian with her. I don't want to start the Boba Fett until I finish The Mandalorian, just in case there is any crossover. I don't know if there is or not. And then I want to wait till uh, to we're able to watch that together as well, or else it will be something. If if she didn't, if she lets me know that she doesn't want to watch it, then I'll probably finish it in one night while I'm on the road somewhere while waiting for dinner or something like that to show up. Okay, that's awesome. I love hearing that. Um, I got to ask one more baseball question, then we could get back to the nerdy thing. I thought of something that I really wanted to ask you. Is it true that closers arrive to the baseball game later than everybody else? Like, are you getting there in the fourth, fifth inning? To the field? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm there before everybody else. Okay. So most people like to – we may walk out to the game a little bit later. Sure, okay. Um, but, yeah, so, like, I'm still getting to the field. Uh, it's like this year we weren't allowed there before a certain time, so I'd get there as soon as we were allowed to. I'd be in there. I'd go into the training room. I'd do my stuff, and then I'd go out and play catch and do my normal routine of that, and then I'd get back inside, and then, yeah, then I'd eat and play with my Lego at home, and then I'd probably jump in the, the hot tub, the cold tub, the shower and all that sort of stuff, and then – as I was going out to the field, I probably leave. I usually I like to get there in the third, third, fourth inning, um, and then yeah, that's that's usually the time I walk out. But no, everyone pretty much gets there at the same time because we still have stretch at the same time. It's not as if it's uh, we're all been pushing back. We still have a 
it's not really necessarily organized, but you, you, as pitchers, you stretch either before BP or before BP at home for sure. And then depending on how it goes on the road before the visitors or the home team's BP or after that, depending on uh, just how you feel feeling that day or anything like that's going on. But uh, yeah, we all pretty much everyone gets to feel at the same time. Maybe, Maybe back me... in the day when it was a little less organized, but uh, not anymore. Yeah, sure. and Vinny, Vinny actually made me think of another baseball question about your preparation, you know, especially being a pitcher. You know how you do work, you know, preparing to throw in a game, but when was the last time you've taken batting practice or swung a bat? Do you ever take batting practice? No, they wouldn't let me this year. I kept asking to. They said uh, they said no. Um, <laughs> that's why I'm like, I, I just want one hit, just one hit, and then we can then I can retire and never talk about it again, but I just want to take it one i just want one hit turn a game and then keep that ball put it on the mantle and that's about it but uh yeah as a, as a solo like as a kind of shorter uh, leashed reliever you don't often get that opportunity unfortunately but uh i got a chance to run yeah, yeah well we, we all remember that game <laughs> that, that game stirred up a little bit of, of fun in the in the white Sox world but you saw dylan cease he had a couple big hits this season i mean i'm sure that that's something that all pitchers really just want to try at least once and see if they could get a hit yeah he was bringing up his old high school scouting report saying he was like the second second best shortstop in all of georgia and all this sort of stuff but it didn't help that then he went three for three in cincinnati and then just didn't shut up about it but (laughs) it humbled himself a little bit later on when he got a chance to hit again and didn't do as well so it it saved us all that second game (laughs) so that just that just shows what incredible work you know a guy like shohei otani is able to do who was that your first time meeting him at the All-Star Game, or did you like get, uh, have a chance to ever sit down and talk with him before that? I never had a chance to sit down, but you'd run into him in the outfield. You'd always say mm-hmm. hello, and then I'd start talking to his translator a little bit because they've been around with a multitude of different players around before Shohei and, uh, and stuff like that. But, no, he's awesome. Like He always takes the time. Um, he's such a humble human being, and that's fantastic for the game, what he's able to do. And, and now it makes every reliever or pitcher and like that that has ever thought that they could do it really jealous of the fact that they were never given the same opportunities. But uh, he's a freak athlete because not only is he does he have power, does he have velocity, does he have all this, but he's got speed as well, which is usually the thing that the pitchers don't have. It's they generally have some things. They have the ability to hit for power, they but never the average or the speed. And those are usually the two defining factors that uh, that max some people out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Absolutely. Well, it's that time of the show where we address the elephant in the room. Joey is a diehard Boston Bruins fan. We're from Chicago, and we're Chicago fans. We're diehard White Sox fans. But in hockey, Joey's a diehard Bruins fan. And we all know about your love for the Montreal Canadiens. How did that start? Why are you a Canadiens fan? And talk about your love for the team. Yeah, so uh, my wife uh, grew up a little bit in Quebec City. And so when... I, she was a junior, uh, she was a figure skater. So when she was growing up, we tried to get into hockey because of where we were with, um, like, uh, the, where I was in Fort Myers, they had the Florida Everblades. And so she was trying to get me into hockey. And then, yeah, so it was like one of those things like, okay, well, if you're going to support hockey, you need a team to, to, to team to barrack for. So Montreal is the team that I go for. So that's the team you should go for. It's the worst mistake she's ever done. <laughs> so now all I do is I watch Montreal. I watch the games. I have jerseys. I have a snuggie in the in the in the closet. Um, we actually went to the uh, the uh, Winter Classic when it was at Gillette Stadium between Boston and Montreal. That was something that uh, yeah, it's it's something that I follow pretty religiously now, and that's uh, it's something really cool. Obviously, last year was a great year for us, being able to the shortened season, being able to the uh, the All North League, but weren't able to pull off the the championship win, but. Uh, it was something that was really cool to follow along, and then this year hasn't gone quite to plan. But in saying that, it happens, and it doesn't change my love for the team or anything, or the organization or anything like that. It's still, uh, I'm still going to support them no matter what, even if they're struggling, and just hopefully they can turn it around, hopefully coming up. Yeah, and a great game tonight on TNT. I don't know if you plan on tuning in, but they are playing my Boston Bruins. Uh, I saw over that. In Boston, I, uh, so. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, how, now, how did you become a Boston fan? So I actually got into hockey, you know, around 2012. I was, I don't even know how old was I, a sophomore in high school. Yeah, probably like we went, around We there. went to a hockey game and the Blackhawks were playing the, the Dallas, Dallas Stars. Stars at the time and a fight broke out and I'm very new to hockey. I wasn't a huge hockey fan and, you know, I fell in love with the game. A huge fight breaks out at a hockey game. What was going on? So I get yeah, Nobody home, gets in trouble for it. Like in baseball. Nobody gets in trouble, yeah. <laughs> so I, I went home, started watching a bunch of videos on hockey fights and that you know, naturally led me to the big bad Boston Bruins at the time who were fighting all the time. And 
fell in love with Tim Thomas, the goalie at the time. Now Tuka Rask is my favorite player, and just the rest is history. Just been I haven't missed a game in you know almost a decade now. So just and Boston Bruins were my and just resigned Tuka as well. Yeah. yeah, and Blackhawks games weren't on television in Chicago for really? a long time until like 2008. So most of our childhood, all you could watch if you were a sports fan were the Cubs and White Sox, Bears and Bulls. The Hawks were on road games. Their road games were on. But it was very hard to get into a team that you couldn't watch. So me and Joey both became fans of teams that were out of market because there was no reason to root for the Blackhawks. But the Habs are in town tomorrow. I'm probably going to go watch them. Yeah, and Ebony, who are you a fan of? Who do you bear for? Uh, I root for the New Jersey Devils. Okay, so that was but the I'm... first team. That was the first game I actually went to. The first couple games that we went to were actually the Devils. It was uh, first game we went to was Devils uh, Capitals in D.C., and then we went to another game. I can't remember who it was. It was the Devils versus somebody again. And both it was Devils Sabres. It was when I was playing in Buffalo, and they both went to OT, both of the games. It was fantastic. But yeah, the fight the fighting is is enjoyable. I enjoy that. I think they should add that in the baseball. It's if I hit somebody, they can charge me and the third man in gets a suspension. But let us go at it and then we'll see how it goes. But I think that'll be uh that, that'll be something we could do. That would but, um You'd yeah, be willing no, I to love, throw I the love, glove yeah, down. I love watching it, and hopefully, we get a chance to. Uh, uh, the Montreal is uh, they're able to scrape back some some dignity this year, and then all they can uh, hopefully get a nice little draft pick, and we can we can start planning for the future. Absolutely, I think Joey was about to ask. You'd, you'd be willing to drop the mitts if that were allowed in baseball. Hundred percent. I mean, I'm going to lose because I suck at fighting, but sure. I think it'll be enjoyable as heck because I think that's what the, that's the one thing that um, baseball is move is trending in the right direction with is is more emotion, less stoicism, and kind of you you're able to go out there, you're allowed to be a person now rather than be like the epitome of like the one word answers or the the cliched answers or anything like that. You can go out there, you can be yourself, you can enjoy it, and you can kind of show your personality off a little bit, which is, I think, uh, fantastic for the game. And that's what's going to get the younger guys involved and the younger fans coming to the games and doing all this is having someone who shows emotion, who's able to kind of connect with the guys on a basic level by showing their interests, whether it be with Lego or books or movies or video games or whatever it is, and you can move forward with that. When you're in the bullpen, let's say you make it out to the bullpen by a certain time in the game, and something happens where you guys got to all run out there. You're like, oh, here we go again. I got to go run out when the when the bench is clear here. I got to go run out there and do nothing. By the time we get out there, the fight's basically broken up anyway. Or do you like it? Do you run out there and I'm like, I'm going to go. Oh, I've already told our bullpen, you cannot let me beat you because I'm all I'm older than all you guys. So you need to be able to beat me out there. But the, uh, the, the couple of times we had bench clearings this year, I was warming up. Uh, so I was warming up in Detroit and then I was warming up at home. And I – sprint i was warming up so i actually jumped the fence and then got a stern talking to by both our pitching coach our manager our gm our bullpen coach because it's like look stop jumping over the fence and landing that way it's yeah we don't want this we don't want you to get hurt doing this but yeah i uh jumped over the fence ran in made sure to beat everybody and detroit's a long way in so i had to run all the way into detroit walk all the way back out and then i pitched that game and I was like warming up to throw the ninth inning. So not only that, I'm also now coming into pitch where I have to run again because it's the fence, the door there is 420 feet away from home plate. And so yeah. I'm running in 300 feet, which is it's a long way while having to do that, like run in within two minutes to then warm up and then not run out of time because most umpires don't care, especially in like Detroit or Philadelphia or Colorado or Baltimore or anything like that. But some place, some umpires are a little sticklers for those clocks and it's, it gets a little frustrating sometimes. That's awesome. Well, Joe, do you have anything for Liam before we let him get on out of here? Has anyone ever said anything to you about uh, the amount of times when you get a ball back from the catcher, you just catch it with your bare hand? Is that has that ever, ever come up? Or, um, yeah, Moncada doesn't like throwing me the baseball anymore. He doesn't <laughs> like giving it to me with anything because he's afraid that if I because I tell him like, hey, throw it hard. He's like, no, you'll catch it bare hand, and I'm not getting in trouble for this. <laughs> <laughs> so both Abreu and him have been like giving me the ball back and it's usually when I'm mad about something whether it be a pitch whether it be a hit or whatever it is but yeah nowadays um, I just tell them if you the harder you throw it the it means that I'm going to use my glove so we, we're slowly working on that um, that's yeah, hilarious I, I grew up playing cricket it's fine <laughs> that's honestly so funny well Liam we can't thank you enough for coming on our show it's been an absolute blast I know our fans are absolutely going to love it Oh, appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me, and thanks for the uh, not all baseball questions. It's always fun as well. Yeah, oh, of course. We love baseball, but we also love talking about things that aren't baseball as well. That's half of our show is talking pop culture or just, 
you know, talking about whatever comes on our mind that day. Yeah, without well, you get a chance to show off guys' personalities, show the fact that we're not all robots playing a game that uh, that everyone thinks that they could play as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All we know, we played and we we sucked by the time we were eighteen. That's why we didn't make it to the show, and that's why we talk about you guys instead because it, it fell off quickly after a couple of good years of high school. <laughs> yeah, over in uh, over in foul territory and left field in the concourse, they got that pitch speed thing. I'm still trying to break seventy four. So honestly, I don't know how I you guys. I kind of want to try it. I want to see what the actual what it shows up. If I'm sorry, obviously it's not going to be anywhere near what I throw on a game, but. It'd be interesting to go up there one time and just to see how it goes. I'll have, I'll have to get them to set it up like during batting practice one time. We'll we'll go up there and see what we can get. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And you could see if the guy running it knows who you are and charges you five dollars like they charge the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> it may very well do. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, Liam, thank you so much. And we, uh, we can't thank you enough. Yeah, and we look forward to seeing you. You know, like I said, Vinny and I are those crazy fans over in left field by the bullpen. We hope we're not distracting you too much as you're getting ready to go in the uh, game. As long as, but... as long as you don't distract me while I'm doing my little walk through, it's uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, trust me, I'm just watching. I'm just watching. I'm watching you. I'm not even watching the game at some points. It's it's honestly the most intriguing thing to me. So keep it up, man. We look forward to seeing you. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me around. Absolutely, of course. Have a good night. Take it easy, guys. And that was Liam Hendricks of the Chicago White Sox, the best closer in Major League Baseball, in my opinion. What did you think? What a guy. What a guy. It, honestly, that was the quickest hour talking to somebody that I've ever been a part of. We could have talked all night long. He just seems like such a fun guy. We talked about Star Wars. We talked about my Boston Bruins, who I just can't seem to mention enough, it seems, over on our Wednesday show. Uh, and the fact that he was the first one to bring up the Boston Bruins, that, that meant a lot to me. Like Liam Hendricks, closer for the Chicago White Sox, one of the best pitchers, you know, in baseball, talked about my Bruins hat. That was just a highlight for me. <laughs> I loved every minute of it. We can't thank him enough for coming on. It means a lot to us as White Sox fans. We've had plenty of awesome guests on this show talking about Pitching Ninja and Gavin Sheets and David Kaplan, just some great people to talk baseball with. Liam Hendricks has to be the highlight. Oh, yeah, 100%. It's honestly going to it's gonna be tough to beat. We can beat it. You know, the sky is the limit for us on this show and on the Barroom Network. But, Trying to do better. Uh, definitely the career uh, highlight for us up to this point. And it's actually funny you mentioned Pitching Ninja because literally yesterday, Pitching Ninja posts a highlight of Liam Hendricks. Like, what are the odds of that? So. It was the one-year anniversary of Liam Hendricks signing with mm, the Chicago White Sox yesterday. I talked about two days ago, actually. So it's a lot of it's a lot of fun to have this guy on the team. He clearly is passionate about pitching for the White Sox and being a closer and being the best player that he can be. And it also seems like he's very interested in advancing his brain. And you know, oh, yeah. I'm all about all about that. I like being smart and being around people smarter than me it's something i enjoy reading and all that kind of stuff so to hear somebody like liam Hendricks go through and explain his methods on those kinds of things incredibly interesting and i know there was one part of the liam Hendricks interview that you found incredibly interesting talk a little bit about what you thought of him breaking down his breathing techniques yeah because there were so many times i meant i told him this there were so many times in the game where seventh inning eighth inning whatever whatever situation he's coming into I'm not even watching the game. I'm over my head is to the left. I'm looking at the bullpen watching Liam Hendricks literally stand on home plate. I obviously didn't realize, you know, he's doing some breathing exercise. Uh, and then he just walks to home plate, stands on home plate, face the mound, does some more breathing stuff. And then he walks back and he just stands there. And, he, and it's honestly very interesting to watch. So I was so happy that he actually had an explanation behind that. That was not the answer I was looking for, but I'm so glad I got it. So now I'll know every time I watch him, like I will be this upcoming season. I'll be sitting there watching him just like I was 20 times this year. Um, I'll have a reason behind it and I'll be able to pass that knowledge along to anyone else who's wondering about Liam Hendricks' routine. Absolutely. And to kind of break away from that for a second, we got to mention really quick before we head on out of here. John Lester retired. He's an all-time great pitcher, in my opinion, one of the great winners in Major League Baseball history. He helped two historic franchises like the Boston Red Sox and Chicago Cubs end World Series droughts, and he was just an absolute pro everywhere he went. He helped the St. Louis Cardinals go on a magnificent run at the end of this season, was a big part of that, and just everywhere he went, winning followed, and I loved being a John Lester fan for his entire career. 
Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the, those highlights in Boston, you know, pitching with David Ross, the catcher, who eventually was his manager over in Chicago. Uh, it honestly, what a, a fantastic career. I love John Lester. He was by far my favorite Cub. So, you know, a, a phenomenal career to him. Absolutely. And, of course, the last time John Lester ever faced the White Sox, the White Sox absolutely teed off on him. So that's great. And then, of course, the last home run that the White Sox ever hit off of John Lester. Or, no, I'm saying it wrong. The last home run that the White Sox ever hit that Hawk Harrelson called was a Tim Anderson bomb off of John Lester. So thank you, John, for all the great memories. And it was a pleasure to have you in town. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we'll have him on this show one day to talk, you know, retired baseball. How's the retired life? But you never know. You never Absolutely. Know. And I promise I won't bring up to him the White Sox teeing off on him <laughs> if he ever came on our show. So that's my promise to you, John. And thank you so much for giving us just a pleasure of a pitcher to watch over the years. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So for another great episode of Crosstown Crosstalk, I can't thank Liam Hendricks enough. It was a great show. Joe, thank you for coming on as well. It was great to interview him with you. There's nobody on planet Earth I'd rather interview a Chicago White Sox superstar with than you. So thank you so much for helping me do that and taking care of half the questions for me. And of course, if you're following us on Twitter, follow at Joey Parisi on Twitter. Follow at Vinny underscore Parisi on Twitter. Thank you for listening.